saying, here's the rules. Here's how a good, ordered house ought to operate. Here's a good, ordered house that is, is operating with God's principles. This is how it actually operates. And today we get to talk about kids. So uh, if you're a kid here today, there's a specific word for you today from God. And uh, I talk a long time, people tell me. He just he talks a long time. So I'll let you know when you need to listen if you drift off, all right? But there is a specific word for you this morning. Suffice to say that the relationships between kids and their parents are pretty central in a household, amen? And uh, it's a source of, of great joy and encouragement and love and heartache and disappointment and frustration and anger and fear. It's, I mean, I've said on many, many occasions that parenting's the worst and the best job in the world, mostly at the same time. Uh, and it's pretty true. Some of you may have seen this video uh, that, uh, that's been out online uh, about things dads never hear from their kids. Double checking the sprinkler timer's off. I'm about to mow the lawn. Dad, did you need a hand? Uh, Dad, what's the about you going fishing without me? Oh, Dad, is it okay if I have this last bit of chicken? Dad, come on, it's Sunday. We never do anything as a family anymore. Can I change the channel, Dad, or are you watching this? Dad, Mitchell just kicked the footy on the roof. Do you want to come outside and supervise while we climb up and try and get it down? Hey, Dad, that was a funny meme you just put on my Facebook. I haven't seen that one before. Nah, Dad, I'd rather pay for the new shoes myself. You've bought me too much as it is. Oh, Dad, what time do you want me home by? Dad, can you put some sunscreen on me back? Hey, did you hear any new jokes today at work, Dad? Here you go, Dad. The present I got you costs way more than Mum, so don't say anything, OK? Hey, Dad. Oh, no, 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 don't put my Mum. I actually just wanted to speak to you. How you going? Hey, 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 turn it down. Dad's trying to have a sleep in. Uh, Dad, I'll wash you dry. You washed last time. Dad, can you wet your thumb? I've got something I need rubbed off my face. <laughs> Sorry if I woke you, Dad. I just realised I forgot to turn one of the lounge room lights off. Oh, Dad, I'm sorry. I, I didn't realise you'd gone to bed. I just forgot to say I love you. Alright, alright. Just let me check. Hey, Dad, Liam's cousin get his VIP tickets to this concert Saturday night, but we're going to Grandma's for dinner, aren't we? Yeah, I thought so. Nah, I can't. Oh, hey, Dad, I'm having this chick over to watch a movie tonight. Can you just, like, hang around in the kitchen so she doesn't think anything's going to happen? Dad, did you need anything washed? Dad, did you fix my bike? Thank you. Is this you when you were my age, Dad? You look good. I reckon we would have been mates. Put finger marks on the windows. Dad, can you bring out a cloth? Hey, Dad, I borrowed some spare change off your bedside table this morning, but I just replaced it and uh, rounded up, obviously. Hey, Dad, can you pick me up from this party tonight at about 11? Just park right out the front and toot your horn and tell everyone you're my dad. They'll find me. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Got you something. So, Dad, before we go, can you just remember to tell me when I'm doing something wrong? It's the only way I'll get better at this. <laughs> Open up to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. It's going to read verse 1 to 4. Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 4. Says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Many a parent has said, I'm going to kill you if you keep doing that, but I don't think that's what it's talking about. Uh, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All right, let's get into it. Here's the first thing today uh, that I think we see in Ephesians chapter 6 there is that children are real people. <laughs> children are real people. You notice here that Paul, in, the, in the, uh, the household codes that he's setting up, addresses children directly. It's like children are not people in waiting. Children are not, they are in a sense, they're adults in waiting, but they're their own people. They're a legitimate member and part of the household of God, they're responsible members of the congregation. So there's, there's things that the, the children need to do. I mean, and you just got to hear in this that there's some real dignity that God gives to children at this point. It's like there's not all these rules for the adults and then the kids get left out. It's like, no, the kids are in on this thing as well. They're part of the household. And we absolutely believe this in the project. We believe massively in the power of kids and their faith. Now, our, our uh, values of, of the project here is to speak of kids being embodied souls. 
which is really us saying that kids have got an invisible part to them and a visible part to them, and they're as legitimate in the context of the project as anyone else is. They're not people in waiting. They're people right now. And this is why, with our project kids, we don't want project kids just to be child-minding because we want to win them because they need to be won every bit as much as you need to be won by Jesus. This is why we want good teachers and good helpers in project kids because it's not just about putting them in a, in a greenhouse for a while until they're big enough to respond. We want them to respond now. Kids respond, don't they, to, to Christ at a young age. I mean, it'd be interesting to do a survey here to find out how many of you actually made your first response, your first movement toward God at a young age. Check this scripture out about, um, about children. You, you, I'm sure you've heard this one before. This is out of the NIV. just cashes it out a little bit more clearly I think than the ESV Lord our Lord how majestic is your name in all the earth you have set your glory in the heavens listen to this through the praise of children and infants you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger God is so great and he is so amazing that one of his key plans in taking the whole gig forward is to use kids you see that Look, it's actually the, the praises of children and infants that shuts down the enemy. And you just need to pause a bit on that, right? Like, seriously, it's what shuts down the enemy. If you've got your Bibles there, I'd love you to, to come to Matthew 21 because Jesus quotes this, uh, this verse in Matthew 21. You know, some of us might go, yeah, but adults are a fair bit different to children, right? Which is true, but not compared to God. We're not that different <laughs> compared to God. You know, God's pleased to use kids in preference to adults at times. Matthew 21, verse 12 to 17. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the smart guys saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, what were they crying out? Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. They put their cranky pants on and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you've prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Do you know what's going on here? Kids are praising Jesus, and these kids have got a better idea about Jesus than the smart guys. Now, who knows as a parent that there's been times in your life <laughs> where your kids have got a clearer idea about God than you do? Who knows that? Just put your hand up. If that's happened, all right? I remember this time with one of my kids sitting in the car um, and, you know, here I was just kind of distracted in my spirit, in my heart. I was just distracted with something that I was loving more than Jesus and just out of the blue, my, uh, one of my sons in the back seat of the car said, Dad, you shouldn't worship anyone but Jesus, should you? Jesus receives the praise from the kids and it signifies to the religious leaders that he's the Messiah. He's the one that everyone's been waiting for. The kids get it right, the adults get it wrong. Kids are really, really important in God's kingdom. There's a sense here, isn't there, in this uh, Matthew 21 passage that the kids got to the point of truth quicker than the adults did. Somehow the complications and the intellect and the giftings and the abilities of the adults just kind of messed with their heads a bit that they couldn't actually get to the truth the way that they needed to get to it. Children are really important. Children are really powerful because of the way that God wants to use them. But listen to me, kids. You are to be children who are under authority. You're not to be people who are under your own steam or your own authority go back to verse 1 in Ephesians chapter 6 folks it might be worth flicking back over there children obey your parents in the Lord 
You need to do what you're told, kids. You need to do what you're told. And you need to remember you're not the wisest person around. Your mum and dad aren't dumber than you most of the time. <laughs> They're just not. They're just not dumber than you most of the time. I always found it funny when I was working in the school here where you'd have a student who was like 12 or 13 who thought that they knew more than someone who'd been living 40 or 50 years. Like it, that's not possible for most people. You know, and, and I think God's saying here in Ephesians 6, honour your mum and dad by obedience. Your mum, you notice that the phrase there actually says, obey your parents in the Lord. Your, your parents are representatives of God. And so you need to look through them to see God and submit to God as you obey your parents. Now some of the, your kids might go, okay, so can we just clarify something here at this point? Okay. What exactly do we need to obey our parents in? All right? Classic, probably teen question. Like, just, just show me what I'm supposed to obey them in and I'll, I'll see if I can square that away. Well, the sister kind of letter in the New Testament is, is Colossians. And Colossians 3 has got a similar command from Paul. Listen to this. Children, obey your parents in... Anyone like to guess what the next word is? Everything. <laughs> For this pleases... The Lord. Now, obviously, God's not saying obey your parents in, in a way that... I mean, your parents could actually ask you to do something that's directly opposed, that's, that's, yeah, that's evil, that's directly opposed to what God wants, which is why the authority of the parents, we'll get to this in a minute, but the authority of the parents is in the Lord as well as your obedience is in the Lord. So here's the thing, kids. What you've kind of got to do, if you think about... Um, was it over in Japan or somewhere over there? They do lots of ice sculptures. You know, it's almost like you're looking at an ice sculpture with your parents that you need to look through the authority of your parents and see the authority of God behind them, all right? They don't operate in absolute authority. You need to look through them and as you submit to them and obey them, you're actually submitting and obeying, you're submitting to and obeying God himself. Now, some of you uh, kids, maybe... Maybe you're not. But at some point in time, probably you might ask this question, why? Why did Paul say that? Why do we have to obey God, sorry, obey our parents in everything? Why? Why didn't he have another list down there? Why do parents get to have that kind of authority over me? Why is my mum asking me to do that? Why is my dad stopping me from doing that? In fact, while we're at it, why did, why did God even put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden? Why, 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 why? It's a toddler thing that returns in adolescence often. <laughs> and I just want to tell you something. It's good to know Why? But you don't always need to know why. If you need to know why before you do anything, it actually says something about the relationship you have with the person who's asking you to do something. You know, it's fair enough to ask, why did God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden? But you know, a loving kind of parent-child relationship where the child respects the parents. The parent comes along and says, hey champ, I just don't want you to eat that tree. And, and a kid that knows that their dad loves them or their mum loves them will just go, sweet, okay, I just won't. You know, it's, it's good to know why sometimes, but I want to just caution you kids sometimes of wanting to know why about everything because what that actually becomes is it becomes, you become the judge, you become the authoritative person and as soon as someone doesn't have a good enough reason, that gives you a reason not to do what they say. You know who your parents are, you know that they love you, so just do it. As long as it doesn't contravene the scriptures, you should go with it and serve God in it. And you probably don't, kids, you probably don't know the best thing to do. Especially if when you say your age, it ends in teen. Okay? You just think that you do. Okay? Now, here's, here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that your parents know best about everything either. But here's the bottom line, your obedience to your parents is not just obedience to the, the absolute monarch of your family, 
patriarch, matriarch of your family, the, the, the mum and the dad, your obedience is, look through the eye sculpture, your obedience is to God himself. And God can bring good out of bad. And parents make bad calls, kids. Any kids know that? That parents make bad calls sometimes? They just do. All right? And this is why it's so critical for you to realise that the authority given to them is authority from God and that you need to submit to them as unto God because he's the one that brings good out of bad. Now, a quick warning. Disobedience and dishonour is worse than you think, kids. Romans 1.29 says this, There's, uh, They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents. You get these lists of sins in the New Testament and thrown in the middle is like disobedient to parents. You just go, it's like, it's like one of those games where you've got to pick the odd one out. You just go, that is the odd one out. Like that's not the right one in there. It doesn't fit. But yet it does. It's really important. 2 Timothy 3, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Kids, we need to be really really careful the way that you relate to your parents is really significant i uh, i love uh, the word honor i mean that's what ephesians 6 actually says here the kids need to honor their parents and you know why i love honor is because as soon as you use the word respect younger generations just click straight into this whole thing about you've got to earn it and when i worked at uh, the school here for a while pretty early on, people would talk about respect all the time. We'd just kind of crash into this brick wall all the time of these kids going, you have to earn my respect. But I'll tell you something, you can give honour. Honour is something that you give. And you can give it to anyone. And kids, this is what God wants you to do. He wants you to honour your parents. And you honour your parents by obeying them, by respecting them and esteeming them and what's the result of honoring your parents your life goes well that's what ephesians 6 says your life goes well i mean there's a great parents you should watch um there's a great uh teaching uh uh kind of message by uh, alan meyer called the parenting paradox you can just go to vimeo look it up goes for about half an hour 40 minutes it's really worth a watch and what uh alan meyer talks about is he talks about how Every single parent, and kids, you can keep listening here, every single parent is both really great and really bad at the same time. And the way that you handle the greatness and the badness of your parents is going to affect the way that you go forward in your life. And I think this is what Ephesians 6 is talking about. It talks about Noah. When you go to Genesis chapter 6, and Noah is a righteous, blameless man. When the guy's a legend, right? Who wouldn't want to have him for their dad? In fact, he's so good, it's so good to have Noah for your dad. And the evidence for that is everyone dies who's not got Noah basically for their dad. That's kind of how it works, right? So it's like blameless, righteous, and if you're not connected to Noah, you're dead. That's, that's pretty much how it works in, in, uh, in Genesis. But you get across after the flood, you get across to Genesis chapter 9, and you find Noah is not just this blameless, righteous man, but he's a guy who's also naked and drunk in his tent. And all of a sudden, you've got this situation where the one moment he's the champion and the next minute he's a sinner and he's fallen. And the interesting thing Alan Meyer says about this is one of the boys, one of Noah's boys, kind of makes fun of him and tells the brothers. And he doesn't handle the parenting paradox, which is that Within Noah, there's a contradiction. He's, he's a great man and he's, a, he's naked in his tent and he's drunk. And the interesting thing that Alan Meyer says is, guess who gets the curse? Noah doesn't actually get the curse for being drunk in his tent. The boy that didn't honour his dad gets the curse. And I think that's a little bit of a snippet about what's going on with this whole blessing that God's got. Like if you learn kids to honour your parents... In their, in their greatness and in their fallenness and you work out how to do that, things will go well for you in your life. But if you don't handle that well and you struggle with that, that's going to be something that's going to come back to bite you. It may not necessarily bite your parents that much, but it will bite you if you don't square that away. All right. 
This is the bit, kids, where you get a little bit excited because I'm going to put some of the parents under the pump here for a little while, all right? So you can just internally just go, yeah, it's good, someone else's turn. Here's the second thing, folks. Parents, uh, we're under authority too. That's verse 1 and 4, right? Kids, obey your parents in the law, for this is right. You get down to verse 4, they're fathers. Now, fathers take the lead in the household, but this includes mothers as well. Don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, back in the day in Rome, back in the first century, the head of the house, the father, had unlimited power over his children. Severe discipline could be handed out to the kids. So you've got to hear here that there's some responsibility of the, the father toward their children. That's, that's pretty revolutionary back in the day. He has responsibilities. Neither the kids, hear this kids, this will help you, right? Neither the kids nor the parents are able to do as they please for their own ends. I mean, think about this parents at a parental level. I wonder how many times you do as you please. I mean, Australians and in particular kids are really, we've kind of got a hair trigger for the abuse of power and authority, right? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? We just do. And you get in a disciplined moment with your kids where they're doing something wrong, you've got a really, really sweet opportunity at that point in time to speak as someone who's under authority. But you'll abuse power and authority if you don't speak as someone who's under authority and you just use your power and authority for your own ends. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? So it's a reasonably regular thing in my house when there's a discipline situation going on where I say to my children, I say, I have to answer to God for the job that I do as a dad, just like you have to answer to God for the way that you do your job as being a kid in this family. That's just how it works. Like you're someone who's under authority. Both children and parents will give an account for the way that they've discharged the responsibility that God's given them. So here's my third point. Parents, don't abuse your authority. Now there is nothing better to the flesh, to the, uh, the fallen side of humanity than to have power without responsibility, right? It's like that, that's going to be heaven, right? Power without responsibility. Well, it's not. Because there's always responsibility that comes with authority and power. But we're humans, right? And we're fallen and it gets messy. And we become a law unto ourselves. And we say, I want to be able to do what I want when I want. Which is really saying I want to be God. I just want to let you know today there's, uh, there's no vacancy in the God position <laughs> in the world. All right? It's occupied and there's never going to be a vacancy. He holds that one. And it's a good, necessary thing that we are under his authority. We belong to him. Psalm 24 tells us that. And you see here in uh, Ephesians, and you see it throughout the whole scriptures, that, that the stronger has a responsibility and has obligations to the weaker. Which is why it'd be great in the project if we fired up a mercy ministry. I'd love to see that happen. Where we reach out to people who are really you know, in a corporate kind of way, we're able to reach out to people who are really struggling and doing things tough. Why? Because I think it's a responsibility of the stronger to help the weaker. That's how it works. And so what you see here with Paul is Paul introducing a fresh element into parental responsibility by, notice this, by insisting that parents take into account the feelings of their children. You see that? That's verse 4. Like, you must... If you are a parent, God calls upon you, you must take into account the feelings of your children. Now this is revolutionary. In a society where the father's authority was absolute, this is absolutely revolutionary. So let me just pause for a moment and ask this question. I've asked it before in church here and I'll ask it again. Can you cause someone else to sin. Yeah, many of you probably just instinctively just go, nah, no, you can't do it. Well, 
Jesus said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, in principle, we don't believe that you can make someone else sin, but I absolutely believe that parents can make it almost impossible, almost impossible for a child not to sin by the way that they deal with them. And I think a lot of it actually comes down to the abuse of power and authority that parents have. It's about using power in ways that are unhelpful and lead the child to sin. So let me, um, let me help you out with a, a few examples of uh, the ways that parents can provoke and exasperate their children. I mean, we could be here for weeks, so I'm just going to run through it. Discipline. I mean, if there's ever going to be a pressure time where parents need to make sure that they're not abusing authority and power, it's in the middle of a discipline situation. All right? And every parent here probably just knows, yeah, I'm pretty sure there were times I just wanted to sit down and have a cold drink and watch TV, and that's why I discipline. And I just want to say to you, that's an abuse of power and authority. God did not give you authority and power as a parent so that you could have a cold drink in front of the TV. It's true, right? He gave you authority and power to bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's what he gave you authority and power for. So when you get into discipline, I mean, one of the things I used to say, and I hope this makes sense to you, I used to say when I was teaching, when a pig squeals like a pig, you don't pay that much attention. But when something that's not a pig squeals like a pig then you've got to pay attention, all right? And what that meant to me is like in a school, if you disciplined well, kids who knew that they'd done the wrong thing rarely ever complained, okay? The kids who would complain about everything kept squealing. They were kind of the pigs for me, right? Because you'll squeal about everything. It doesn't matter what anyone does to you, you're just going to squeal about it. The kids who had a fair enough view of themselves and morality tended not to complain. I remember a teacher, a, a, a leading teacher in, in the early days of my teaching career, um, basically teaching me this. That's how, that's how it works. And he said to me, he said, if, you get, if good kids really start to squeal and complain about what's going on, he said, you need to slow down, you need to stop and just do a double check of what you're doing because it's probably not right. And no one likes discipline, Right? So I'm not saying that your kids are going to give you a big hug and say, hey, it was just, that was so good. I got you banned me from sport for like three weeks. Seriously, that was the best time ever for me. All right? They're smiling and giving you a hug and shoulder rub. And I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I trust you understand. You can exasperate your kids by excessive discipline, disproportionate discipline. That's out of proportion to the offence. Inconsistent between one kid and the next. Unexplained discipline where a kid gets in trouble and they don't really know what it's for. Discipline that doesn't have any kind of forgiveness kind of built into it. Humiliating discipline. Doing stuff in public, berating your kids in public. Bad-tempered discipline where you're out of control. Heartless discipline. Selfish discipline. It'll exasperate and provoke your kids if you're a hypocrite. If you don't live out what you're teaching them to do, it'll exasperate and provoke your kids if you use your anger to discipline your children, if you use your anger to, to shape their behaviour. Helicopter parenting exasperates kids. Favouritism. Parents that fail to sacrifice for their children exasperates them. Regular discouragement. If you've got the gift of just reminding people regularly where they suck, like you do that with your kids, that's just not going to go well. And some people do, right? It's like, hey, look, yeah, like you got 98%, right? But look at that 2%. Now, I'm not saying that you don't want to actually push your kids to do better and better. I'm saying that you do want to do that. But if it becomes a pattern, that that's the only kind of feedback that your children get from you, that becomes a problem. So parents don't provoke 
your children to anger or any other sin. Don't exasperate your children. All right, let's finish here. Fathers, use your authority for good. Go back to uh, Ephesians 6 for me, can you? See there in verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do you know the job of a dad is to nourish, to feed the kids? All right? But literally, and feed their souls, to grow them, to look after them. You know, scriptures say that children are a heritage from the Lord. You know, that, that notion of bringing up your kids has to do with bodily nourishment. Like that's, it's translated as that in other places of the scriptures. John Calvin said this, he said, uh, let the children be fondly cherished. <laughs> and that's what we need to do, dads and mums. The kids need to be fondly cherished. You know, one of the things I think, uh, just throwing a few things out for you about um, the opportunity that, that mums and dads, but I'm speaking directly to dads at this point in time, is I think dads have got an awesome opportunity, a great opportunity to teach their kids how to fear God and respect him. Now Leviticus 19.3 says, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do you know with God, you know what you get with God? You get intimacy and infinity. That's what you get. Intimacy and infinity. You get close God, massive God. <laughs> All right? And the fear of God is kind of like, I stand across him. And it's not because I'm scared of him and he's going to send out a couple of Abram's tanks after me and blow me into a million pieces. He's, he's really big and he's really scary, but he's also really, really close. And dads, I think this is, man, I think the lion's share of teaching kids the fear of the Lord comes from you. Dads, you need to be really, really close to your children. You need to be really close, but you also need to be a bit fierce. <laughs> I'm sure there's mums who have used this line in this room, but my mum had one line that really scared me. I'm going to tell your father when he gets home. <laughs> now, I didn't have any doubt that my dad loved me. But my dad was also fierce. My dad taught me to respect him and to respect mum and to respect and fear God. And it's a right thing to do. We're not wanting to teach kids to be scared. But dads, we are wanting to teach kids to fear and respect in an appropriate way. Now, some kids will need this more than others. And you've got to be the judge of how this actually works for your individual children, dads. <laughs> what do they need? I mean, some, some kids probably need half a sentence of something. All right? You just kind of throw something in. They're sensitive. They're responsive. They, they realise the gravity of the moment. Others, you're just going to need to say, I'm going to be coming for your soul in about 30 seconds. All right? And you've just got to work out which is the right one for which kid that you've got so that they actually learn. You just don't cross, Dad, because you just don't cross God. You teach your kids to fear and respect, but you also teach them, Dads, about intimacy. And you teach your kids that it makes complete sense, even though it's a mind-blower, that something so big and fierce could actually be so loving and so close. That's, that's what you're doing. And you do it every day. And you do it when you get home from work, and you do it when you're tired, and you do it when your kid wakes up in the middle of the night. You're doing it all the time. It's like I'm teaching you that, you've, there's, that God's fierce, but he's close. And I'm, with the things that I'm bringing you up in that are of the Lord... I want you to realise you don't cross that, but I also want you to realise I really, really love you. Fathers, bring your kids up in the Lord. Lead with reading the scriptures with your kids. Get whatever helps you need to, to get to actually do that. It's your job to bring your kids up in the Lord. In the discipline, which means you're going to need to discipline your kids, and you'll need to lead in that, but also the instruction of the Lord, the, the shaping, the mentoring, the correction. You know, you, you want your kids to be shaped into, into the likeness of Christ. Teach your kids about Jesus, teach them how to be like him and discipline them when they're not like him. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it. 
Like it's not kind of rocket science. I want to finish here today, and this is, this is an old play. Some of you might be sitting here today and even thinking about it and just going, oh, it wasn't, my dad wasn't like that. Maybe in some kind of way you're actually asking, what do I do with the marks that my parents left on me? I just want to say to you this morning, there's not a person sitting here, there's not a preacher here this morning, there's no one's exempt in this room from having a parent or parents that have left marks on you. It's just how it is. Because not one parent of anyone in this room has actually handled authority and power in a way that hasn't hurt. And maybe some of you, even as you got married, if you think back to when you got married, however long ago that was, and you noticed the different parenting of your spouse, actually started to notice some of the marks that your parents had left on you. Maybe some of you are not married and you just kind of go, I look at other people around me and I look at other families and I look at other people and they don't have the same marks that I've got. And you start kind of joining the dots and you just kind of go, this really sucks. <laughs> my, my parents didn't help me. Like there's, yeah, yeah, they were good. They gave me life. And that's, that's, that's incredible. When, I'm not saying for a second here that there aren't amazing things that your parents have done for you. I'm just saying that everyone here sits with marks on them from the way their parents did things. And it can lead us sometimes to ask the question, is it over for me? Am I, just, am I stuck with this? Is, is this a, am I just stuck with the, the limp that I've got because of the way that my parents have parented me? And I, I really just want to focus in on the dads. Like, am I stuck with, with the, the troubles in my life and the patterns that I've got in my life because of the way that my dad handled me? Will I ever get over it? Am I destined to just repeat the defects of my parents? James Dobson wrote a book called Bringing Up Boys and in it he tells the story of a greeting cards initiative in a jail. Let me read it. Executives of a greeting card company decided to do something special for Mother's Day. They set up a table in a federal prison involving inmates to send a free card to their mum. The lines were so long they had to get more cards. Due to the success of that event, they decided to do the same thing on Father's Day, but this time not one prisoner felt the need to send a card to his dad. In fact, when asked about it, many had no idea who their fathers even were. So what hope is there for me and for you with the marks that have been left on us by our dads? Well, you know what? There's lots of hope. Lots of hope. You need to be refathered. You need to be reparented and refathered. You see, you started out this life as an orphan, born into a natural family, but estranged from the most important family, and that's God's family. It's the most significant one. And what we've learned in Ephesians is that God is such an amazing father that he actually goes out and he finds orphans and says, I want you to be in on my family. This is the most significant family going. It's the most healing family. It's the most amazing family. And I want you to come and be in my family. And I'm going to re-father you. And my family and my fathering is going to trump your fathering and your natural family in all the areas where it failed. So you may have had a father that physically harmed you. I was reading the uh, child protection legislation this week. Some of you just going, uh, what? excellent, yeah, that pops up for me every couple of days. I want to just pick it up and read it. It's a good way to go to sleep, parts of it. The child protection legislation defines harm as any detrimental effect of a significant nature on the child's physical, psychological or emotional well-being and it's immaterial how the harm is caused. It can be caused by physical, psychological, emotional abuse, 
neglect, sexual abuse, or exploitation. Maybe you had a dad that flew off the handle. And he used his power directly against you and not for you. He disciplined you for his purposes. You need to be refathered. <laughs> Hebrews 12 verse 7 to 11 says this, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we've had earthly fathers in a positive way who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Listen to this. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. God is not an abusive father that disciplines and beats his kids up for his own good. Because he's angry or because he's upset about something. He loves you and he disciplines you for your good. Always. Always, always, always he disciplines you for, his, for your good. And let me just throw one other note in there. God repetitively through the scriptures says that he is slow to anger. Like centuries slow to anger. You get that? And some of you go, I didn't have a dad like that. I had a dad that was like three seconds, I reckon. And he was flying off the handle. And you just need to know that God is not like that and you just need to be refathered. Because that's not a normal father. <laughs> a good father does not fly off the handle in three seconds. Is anyone with me on that? Maybe you had a dad who verbally harmed you. He just said the most ridiculous things to you. It wasn't that he physically used his power against you, it was that he used his power verbally and his words cut like a knife. And you still remember them. I mean, picture a steel, rusty skull and the words of your father are like rusty bolts that just rattle around in that thing through the day. They clank and they rattle. You need to be refathered. Proverbs 16:24 says this, "Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body." Do you know that because of the cross that God's words are so gracious to you? And they will never, ever, ever be anything but gracious to you. Listen to these beautiful words from Isaiah 49, 15 to 16. The Isaiah prophet talking about God's heart for his people. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. I mean, which one do you pick? When it comes to God's gracious words to you, which one do you pick? It's 2,000, 3,000. Or maybe you had a dad that didn't physically care for you. He cared for himself, but he didn't care for you. You watched him and you looked at him and you just went, he always seems to get what he wants. And I don't seem to get what I need. Now, I'm not talking about an expansive definition of need here. I'm talking about basic kind of needs. Now, in the last uh, week, the uh, Chronicle uh, ran a headline on the front page called Deadbeat Dads. And uh, this is a section out of the uh, internet uh, version of it. Exclusive data obtained by News Regional shows 5,859 Toowoomba residents should be paying child support, but 26% or 1,500 are behind in their payments. Listen to this. Most of the debtors are men, with 1,334 Toowoomba fathers owing money. 
mean, I, I don't even know how many kids I worked with in the school here whose dads just didn't stump up cash and they just couldn't do stuff because dad wasn't supporting them. You know, and then you've got this argument, this face-off between this busted family, between a father and a mother to just try and get enough cash to actually look after the kids. Is that you? Were you the kid? You need to be refathered. If you had a dad like that, you need to be refathered. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And Jesus says, And your heavenly Father knows that you what? You need them. Philippians 4, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I was standing on the bottom oval yesterday and uh, this, this will give you a bit of an insight into the weirdness of my brain. And uh, I just finished jogging. And I was standing there and just praying a little bit. And I watched this uh, flock of birds flying off toward the south. And I thought, um, I just thought, wouldn't it be really cool if God could just make those, all of those birds just turn around and come and stand right in front of me right now? Like, I just thought that, that would be a cool miracle. Because they were a good distance off, right? And then it just kind of hit me. I just went, don't miss the miracle of seven birds flying way up in the sky way over there. Do you get my point? And sometimes I think with God, we can kind of be thinking about all these things that we want and that we think that we need and just completely miss a miracle of his provision in the now. Like you're all sitting in a room and we're not having an earthquake and we're not all dying. There's no bombs coming in. You probably, you all look nice as far as I can tell. All right, and you had some food for breakfast this morning. We've got electricity, and there's a fan that blows my pages every now and then, but it's keeping me cool. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, God is a tender, loving Father, and don't miss the miracles looking for a different miracle. Maybe you had a dad that never let you have an opinion. When you did, he made you feel stupid. His power and his authority made it dangerous to be you. It made it dangerous for you to say what you really mean. That's such a dumb thing for you to say. And he'd even tell his friends about your dumb things. The dumb things that you'd say and do, sometimes in front of you. If you had a dad like that, you need to be refathered. Psalm 62 says this, Trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before him. Everything. God is a refuge for us. Maybe you had a dad that was controlled by a substance or he was addicted to something. Maybe it was substance abuse, alcohol, drugs of any sort. Maybe he was addicted to something. And he was like a caged lion. Because <laughs> it was obvious that there was something else that was kind of controlling him at different moments. And you were ended up on the receiving end of it. That you were kind of like the tail on the dog. Well, God would want you to be refathered. Because you know something about God is no one controls him. He is always able to operate completely out of his character. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Or maybe you had an absent dad. Maybe your dad used his power and his authority to do what he wanted. Maybe your dad's power and authority wasn't exercised on your behalf, but on his own. Maybe he left. He went to do his own thing. He went to use up his power and his authority somewhere else. But maybe, just maybe, he stayed. Maybe you had a dad that stayed, but he wasn't there. And he wasn't present 
And he regularly used his power to check out for his own ends. Playing a game. Want to watch the news? Your mother will look after that. And he checked out. His bit was, I'd give him a rap for it, but at one level, but his bit was to earn the money and put the food on the table and the rest of the time he wasn't there. If we put it in today's culture, maybe he's a dad that lets you have as much screen time as you want so that you just stay out of his life. If you've got a dad like that, you need to be refathered. Because Hebrews 13 verse 5 says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. <laughs> He's not an absent father. If you think that's what a normal father is, to be absent and not be engaged with his kids, that is not normal. Okay? Normal is God. It's always the way. All right? God is always normal and we're all just trying to become normal. <laughs> that's what the whole gig is. And Jesus, man, he's just given us one heck of a, a leg up on that, hasn't he? And he's with us and his spirit is with us. But it's like, you need to be like the father. The father is someone who says, I will never, ever, ever leave you nor forsake you. He sends his son and his son is called Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. God with you. Or maybe he had a good dad. He wasn't a perfect dad, but he was a good dad. And he was a good dad because he was like God. And he gave it his best shot. And you sit here today and you know what it is to love and trust God. Because he taught you to do that. You know what I mean. You people know what I mean. When I was talking before about the mixture of fear and intimacy, you got looked after. And I just want to say to you people... No dad's perfect. You still need some refathering, but geez, you're blessed. Geez, you're blessed. And you'd do well to bless your father for being a dad like that. 